Good morning. Good to see all of you on this Lord's Day. And we are going to revisit Paul's letter to Timothy. A couple months ago, uh, Brandon spoke on the first couple of verses, a very simple outline. Paul wrote it to Timothy about the gospel. We're going to continue today. So if you would open your Bibles and follow along as I read. First Timothy, I'll read the first 17 verses. First Epistle of Paul the Apostle to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, 
For this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you, we would honor you, we would worship you, we would be holy thine. And we beseech now your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to use my words, may I say only that which you would have said and declared, that you may use it to uphold the saints and to convert sinners from their sinful ways to a knowledge of Jesus Christ who alone is Savior of poor, lost sinners. So use your word now, I pray, to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to focus on verse 15, and I would like to encourage you. Look at verse 15, chapter 1. Read it along with me out loud. And then if you don't already know it in your mind, endeavor to work on it, memorize it, know it, let it become a part of your life. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying. Say it along with me. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I kind of fear as much as we have so many advantages in this day in which we live Yeah, I've got one of them here in my pocket, too. Hopefully it doesn't make any noise while I'm speaking, although sometimes it does. But I think we have fallen away from memorizing Scripture. Even though we have these aids that we could be listening all the time. But do we? No, we listen to other stuff and distractions. So, commit with me to memorize that verse, 1 Timothy 1.15, one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. And there's another one that comes to my mind as well. Well, there's many, but...
in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and I'm jumping in. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If you don't know how to sing that, how many of you have sung that? Two, three. It's a good way to memorize, to sing the scripture. And some of you have what's called a red letter Bible. How many of you have a quote red letter Bible? Let me see your hand. And I see this. Some people will kind of make fun of that. I don't know why. We make fun of things that we shouldn't make fun of. Nothing wrong with the red-letter Bible, the words of Jesus in red. We should know the words of Jesus when we read Scripture. Uh, And there is a verse in Scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. A great way to memorize scripture is to sing the scripture. I still remember when I had the privilege of speaking in Canada, and it was a small Reformed Baptist church that was mainly filled with former uh, Presbyterians or uh, other Reformed people. And it just caught my attention, one particular elderly man, how it seemed like he had the Psalms memorized. And there's a reason for that, because they sang the Psalms in their worship. And That impressed me to no end. Uh, We should memorize scripture. We should know scripture. We should sing scripture. We should pray the scripture. And we will be blessed and benefited because we do so. I want you to think this morning... Imagine with me for a moment if Christ had not come. If Christ hadn't come into the world, there would be no Christmas. There would be no organizing Christmas caroling. There would be no Christmas carols. There would be no silent night, no little town of Bethlehem, no away in the manger. If Christ had not come, there would be no light, In the world, only darkness and despair. No love from God the Father, no love from the Savior, no love from the life-giving Holy Spirit. If there were no babe in the manger, there would have been no Son of Man. There would be no mediator between God and man, no sacrifice for sin, and no resurrection from the dead. If Christ did not come, we would have no ability to receive or give love 
for our neighbors, even to our families. Imagine a life without Christ and without love. A horrible thing to imagine, but think about it for a moment. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitious. Sorry. Propitiation. Which means satisfaction for our sins. A satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. Let's look at the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy. Sorry. Timothy. We do have a Timothy in here, don't we? Where's the Timothy? Am I forgetting? Anyway, you know what Timothy means? It means one who honors God. One habit that I have sometimes when I meet people and I hear their name, I will try to take their name as a way to springboard to be a witness for Christ. Do you ever do that? Think about that. Think of ways to witness. Timothy. We have a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And I read just a couple of interesting little things. Maybe you've heard this before about Paul. Probably usually when you think about Paul and try to picture him in your mind, you're probably thinking of somebody that's probably 6'3 or 6'4 that you've seen him on the basketball court or maybe uh, quarterback or linebacker on your favorite football team, just, you know, a giant of a man. Perhaps you've heard this. And this is a legend, but this legend says he was a man of low stature, bald or shaved on the head, crooked thighs, handsome legs, hollow-eyed, had a crooked nose, full of grace, for sometimes he appeared as a man, sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. Not that it matters, but... Sometimes we have a character in our mind that is not true at all. And this is why I think it's a violation of the second commandment to have, quote, pictures of, quote, Jesus. Because those are not pictures of Jesus. They're somebody's idea. Now what about Timothy? You can understand why Paul, an educated Hebrew with Roman citizenship from a city steeped in Greek culture, why God chose him. But why Timothy? Shy, youthful sidekick of Paul 
thrust into spots that seemed too much for him, yet he always went on. Learn from Timothy. And there is much we can learn from Timothy. But you get a picture if you read through both of these letters, First and Second Timothy, you get a picture of Timothy. And this is what somebody highlighted. Naturally timid and fearful. If Tim- Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear. Youthful appearing, probably not a take charge guy. Let no man slight you because you are youth. First Timothy 4.12. Not in the best of health, probably would miss several days a year because of illness. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. First Timothy 5.23. Emotions on the surface, perhaps not the proper hearing for a dignified executive. Quote, recalling your tears. I long to see you. Second Timothy 1.4. Doesn't like to take risks, may act too cautiously. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Second Timothy one seven. Not mature enough for the pressures of top responsibility. Flee the evil desires of youth. Second Timothy two twenty two. Well, there you have it. Probably a very different picture than what you have of the Apostle Paul. But what Paul sees in Timothy, Timothy, my work fellow, Timothy, my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, he's doing the Lord's work as I also am. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father is served with me in the work of the gospel. Well, there's more. But how do you picture people? How do you picture Jesus? How do you picture Paul? How do you picture Timothy? How do you picture yourself or how? Do others picture you, or how do you want to be pictured? Now, if you try to narrow that down into something that is not wordy, what would that be? How do you want others to see you? And in reality... How do you want to be not just seen? And I'm not speaking about physical, but in your inner person. And I think there's only one way as we read scripture that we would see Paul, that we would see Timothy. And that is one who is, quote, in Christ. In Christ. That's 
what we should want to be. Paul tells Timothy, and we, if you just look back for a moment to the first couple of verses, a personal letter, this almost sounds too powerful, too uh, impersonal, because Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior. So it's making an impression. But I think this says that it is not only a letter for Timothy, but it is a letter for all believers, for all of us. And in chapter 3, verse 15... Paul writes to Timothy that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Isn't that for us all? That we should know how to behave ourselves in the church of the living God? And I'm speaking not only of our worship service, but in our entirety within the church. Isn't that what we all should want? That we know how to behave, how to act, how to speak, how to think, how to relate to others? We need to study these letters that we would know how to behave in the church of the living God. Now, if there's some of you that think, What's he talking about? This is not important. Well, yes, it is important. And if you do not see the importance of it, you need to examine yourself. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me. And we are called every time we observe the Lord's table to examine ourself, whether we be in the faith, whether we are behaving as we ought in the church of the living God. Paul says, charge some, and young Timothy now is pastoring in the church in Ephesus, uh, very cosmopolitan, worldly city. You know, and we sometimes, we think, how could it be any worse than what it is here now, today? Well, go back and live in first century Ephesus with Timothy. First century Corinth, Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's never been easy for believers. And so let's not think that we alone are just having a rough go of it.
Timothy's message from Paul is charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Doctrine is important. Some people don't like that word. As soon as you say the word doctrine, they oh, what's coming? You know, let's dig in our heels. Well, doctrine just simply means teaching. Teaching. And it is important that we know the true doctrine, the doctrine of God. That which builds faith and love. Sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which Paul says was committed to my trust. The mission of the Son of God is introduced to us in this passage, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a message about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There are two great truths expressed in the mission of the Son of God. Let's consider them. Two great truths concerning the mission of the Son of God. The first, Christ Jesus came into the world. I'm not making this up. Look at the verse. Look at your text. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. This is a faithful saying. I want to mention something that I don't think I even was aware of until I sat at the feet of John Owen. You know who John Owen is? John Owen was probably the theologian of the Puritans. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 4 with me, and it's about Scripture. And these letters from Paul to Timothy are about Scripture too. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Many of you know this by heart. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God. The word of God. And, And... That's such a powerful verse. But something that I didn't see and something that we often forget, to understand scripture, context is everything. We need to know the context. And how many of you, in memorizing that verse, looked at the following verse? And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And we see there, obviously, that it's not talking about the written word, but it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. And do you remember John 1.1? 1, 1? 
In the beginning was the word. The Greek word there is logos, and you're familiar with that Greek word because it is used in English. But in the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Go on through that chapter, the early part of that chapter, and in verse 14, the Logos, or the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation of the Son of God. And First John opens in that same manner, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have handled, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Now try to stay with me. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That eternal life. We oftentimes think of eternal life as unending life, and we never get any further than that. But if you look in this context, you see that there is a person who is called the eternal life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why did I take that excursion? I want you to just consider the thought and not to dismiss the thought that is given here in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy, worthy of all acceptance. Saying there is the word logos. This is a faithful word and worthy of total acceptance but an acceptance that goes to the very heart of the matter. And that is Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is worthy of full acceptance. And the first of these great truths He came into the world, and our text says, refers to him as Christ Jesus. Now let's look at these words. The first is Christ, the promised Messiah of the prophets, the seed of the woman that shall bruise the serpent's head, the seed of Abraham and the son of David according to the flesh. Messiah. In fact, Messiah is just a transliteration of the Old Testament word. The New Testament word is Christos or Christ, and it means anointed one. Christ, his official title as prophet, priest, and king of his people, his church. 
What is he to you? Christ, the anointed one, the son of God, is prophet, priest, and king of his church. Why do you need Christ as your prophet? You do need him as your prophet. Why? Because we're ignorant. We need him as our teacher. We need him as our prophet. We need him as our priest. Why? Because we're sinners. We're guilty. We need the sacrifice that only Jesus can give. And he gives the sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice. The Son of God and King. Christ is our King. Why do we need Christ as our King? Because we're weak and helpless. We need him. We need a king. And he is our king, Jesus Christ. How blessed we are. He's the one and only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. When someone tries to insert another mediator alongside Jesus, they are doing great harm to the truth of who Jesus is. He alone as mediator. There is no other. And we don't need any other. And I don't want any other, do you? The second name given by the angel Gabriel to virgin named Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. His name Jesus. That's Joshua of the Old Testament. Jesus in the New. The name is the same. What does it mean? It means Jehovah saves. Jehovah is our Savior. There is no other. And this is Jesus. In Luke chapter 131, if you wish to turn and follow along, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give to him Sorry, I can't read my small writing. We'll give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah's gospel, and I think it's fitting to call Isaiah a gospel, 700 years before Christ, it was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Matthew 1, 20 to 23, Isaiah 7, 14. And also in Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. Christ Jesus was sent by God the Father into the world. The Father is the sender of Christ Jesus. The Son of God is the sent one. He came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of Mary at God's appointed time. He came into the world that he had created, now populated by sinners, ever since the fall of Adam. Adam, the forerunner of the human race. Adam fell into sin. And the whole race was plunged into sin. Romans 5.12 When the New Testament speaks of the world, it speaks of fallen mankind. We don't become sinners because we have committed sin. We sin because we're sinners. And we are born sinners. We who are saved were part of the world of lost mankind. But now we are no longer part of the world system created by Christ Jesus. We are commanded, do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So let us Be careful, Christian. Yes, we are sinners, but God's word does not press you into keeping that mold. Our mold is to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So our text, first of all, declares that Christ Jesus came into the world. Secondly, why did Christ Jesus come into the world? What was God's purpose for him? The purpose is declared in the verse. Look at the verse and don't stray from what it says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save, to save sinners. Matthew 1.21 You should call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. What does that mean? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
He did not come just to make salvation possible. He came to save. And he did. His very name declares his name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. And he will not be denied. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 He came that the world through him might be saved. Not just Jews but also Gentiles. And probably most of us here are Gentiles. Don't you thank God? that he came to save Gentile sinners. The Bible is full of verses declaring who he is. In the book of Acts, call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord added to the church Daily, such as should be saved. Some try, some try to say, God is only about counting numbers. Like, okay, we got to get five or ten or a hundred from here, and one, two, three, four, five, six, and boom, we hit the notch, and that's it. No, it's talking about saving certain people, certain sinners. His sheep, he calls them. He died to save his sheep, and he will find them and save them. And there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself when he thought that his Prisoners were about to escape, cried out to Paul, what must I do to be saved? To Paul and his companion Silas. We need to read between the lines. How was it that that jailer cried out to Paul? Did Paul have a sign on him saying, I'm a Christian, I belong to Jesus? No, what had they been doing? They'd been singing praises at midnight to their God, to their Savior, Jesus Christ. So when this man cried out, what must I do to be saved? He knew that there was an answer for him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And likewise, your household If they believe, they too will be saved. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says we shall be saved from wrath. What wrath? The wrath of God. Somebody somebody almost kind of tongue-in-cheek said salvation is salvation from what? Well, certainly it's salvation from sin, but it's also a salvation from God. From the wrath of God, 
lest you be cast into hell. And thus you shall be if you die in your sin. We are saved by Jesus Christ from the wrath of God, by him giving his life. How can a man be saved? How can a sinner be saved? Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So sinner, if you are here without Christ this morning, don't go away and say, I don't know the way. I am declaring to you the way. Jesus is the way. Believe on him. Come to him. Believe and he will save you from your sin. And we're saved not because we're good and not because we can do good things. We are saved by the grace of God only by the grace of God, and it's the free grace of God who saved us and called us to himself and will preserve us unto his heavenly kingdom, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. They're described in our text. And they're described in the person of Paul. In verse 16, Paul says, Howbeit for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. How is Paul a pattern? Well, what did he say about himself? He describes sin. Verse 9. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for lawless and insubordinate, for ungodly, for sinners, unholy and profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. And if there is anything else that is contrary to sound doctrine, that's sin according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel is good news to sinners. And Paul says that he's one of them. In verse 13, he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He had broken the law of God. And that exalted first part of the law of God, he says he was a blasphemer. And you know that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. And I, sometimes in a public thing that you see on TV, a, a funeral or something, and you see people that you really wonder about their heart. Do they know what they're singing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We are wretches, 
We are wretches. We are sinners. How is it that God would save us? Paul says that's what he was. That's what he was. He's a pattern. He's a pattern to poor sinners, blasphemers. John Newton, writer of that hymn, Amazing Grace, was a blasphemer. John Bunyan, who gave us Pilgrim's Progress, was a blasphemer. Now, I want to give a certain warning. If you read through Numbers 15, it's quite frightening, quite scary, because it talks about sin for which there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness for intentional sin, for high-handed sin. And I know there's been times when I've thought, God, am I one of those? Have I done that? And you may have had similar thoughts. Am I one who has sinned with my eyes wide open? And if we're honest, probably all of us would confess, yeah, I have. Well, God help us. But you know, Paul is a pattern for us. And you know who else is a pattern for us? David in the Old Testament. You say, how could that man of God sin and fall into the sin that he did? And he was guilty of all of it. Guilty of adultery. Guilty of murder. And we should gain hope because God saves all kinds of sinners, even those like David and Paul. Sinners are described as lawless and insubordinate. Sinners hate Christ Jesus, the light of the world, because he exposes their sin. Now we should not shy away when somebody rebukes us for our sin, whether it's our mate, our husband, our wife, our dearest friend. Why do we repel that at times? God help us, because we still have that sinful nature. Sinners hate Christ, the light of the world, of the world because he exposes their sin, and by his spirit he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And that's how Paul describes himself as a sinner. And he, Paul, was a persecutor of Christians. After his conversion, Christ Jesus commissioned him an apostle, his ambassador. We're all sinners. Born in sin and we prove it by sinning. Why did Christ Jesus come into the world? 
to save sinners. What is sin? It's any one of conformity unto our transgression of the law of God. Sin is lawlessness. All unrighteousness is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Do you ever wonder about a course of action? If you cannot do so by faith with your eyes wide open that this is what God would have. If you cannot do that, don't do it. It's sin. Sin is to come short of the glory of God. Missing the mark. Sin controls the life of the sinner because the sinner is dead to God and cannot save himself. If you're a self-righteous Pharisee, God will not save you until you get down and recognize your need. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. If you don't know him, I urge you, don't wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here without Christ, I urge you, I compel you, trust Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Believe on him without delay. And I thought as Kyle so aptly brought out, it's either this week, or excuse me, last week or the week before, in speaking to children. Children, young people, don't put it off. If you know you're a sinner, why wait? Why wait? God saves sinners who believe on him, who trust in him, believe on him without delay. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, whom you sent into this world to save us because we needed saving because we're sinners. And Father, I pray for those in our midst today that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have no hope for tomorrow, no hope beyond the grave. Convince them, convict them of the reality of their sinfulness and that they are lost apart from Jesus Christ. Reveal the Son of God to their eyes this good news that Jesus saves sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, and he still saves sinners today. Would you rise, and I will dismiss with a benediction. Bow your heads, please. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever.
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Redeemed sinner, let us rejoice. Unsaved sinner, believe on him today. In his name, amen. May God bless you.